the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Idiosyncrasy. I love idiosyncrasy. Routines are the conditions of sanity, Emerson said. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson, the Seth Liebson Show. You know you have a thing when you can pronounce your own name, but you also know you have a thing when you walk around in the community or you go to lunch or coffee and someone sees you on a Tuesday and says, are there Holmans coming in tonight? Yes. And here they are, Hugh Holman and Lewis Holman. Hugh, the former mayor of Tempe, an attorney and educator. Lewis Holman, many things, but the managing director of Inside Analytics for the purposes of our discussions today. What? What did you? You are you are you are brimming to say something. Two things. One was the the people who come up to you don't ask if we're going to appear. Uh, I had to ask you, are we going to no, appear? So that's what you're referring no, to. And secondly, uh, it was amazing to have lunch with you. Not. Uh, 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 a week ago to see how much I eat and no to see how you were mobbed <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, right. in the restaurant yeah. and y- you're on radio yeah. um, and so uh, I suspect I, I, if I you think were your Q ratings a little higher than mine no no I think it is it was impressive I have you here as I have your son here because you're the impressive ones I want to talk COVID and as I promised the audience a little uh, a little uh, a little political theory and political thought when it comes to this question of not making things political. We'll get into that uh, either sooner or later. Up to you. Where do you want to start? I would say let's do our stock and trade. Yep. Lewis, forgive me. Already? That, that we'll, well have this is two... brimming to do the philosophy. No, right? I know that, and I'm going to kill him with uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. on COVID because no. that is our stock okay. and trade. And people right. maybe tune in no. to make sure that uh, that they should still yeah, go to no, work I mean, and breathe. Anyone can do Marx's notes on Feuerbach. I mean, anyone exactly. can do that. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Right. <laughs> I'm Only told the there are even other AM radio stations in town that spend gobs of hours on it. So. Uh, exactly, gobs. Um, but we should at least touch on two things sure. today. One is, where are we in this most recent, quote, spike, unquote, uh, with the Delta variant? Uh, be afraid, be very afraid. Uh, and uh, part of that is because you f- saw some articles that suggested that we have a different trend with this Delta variant. Uh, and it actually looks to be, just as we have continued to say, uh, overblown, uh, certainly having a huge chunk of our population vaccinated. Arizona's uh, in the 54% range-ish. But most important, 85% of the people who are most at risk, folks 65 years and older, are vaccinated. Are we getting breakthrough cases? Yes, we are. The stupidest thing that the uh, Biden administration has done is failed to understand what Israel understood, and that is this is a virus that is going to mutate. It's also not going to have uh, for everyone uh, antibodies that last over a long period of time. And so a booster shot seems appropriate if you want to avoid it. So this is actually kind of the mistake that we've been making in dealing with this whole pandemic is that we, whenever we talk about solutions. We, or, or, or they. Sorry, they. You're, you're correct. I meant us collectively. Mind your pronouns on Fair this enough. show. 
<laughs> anyway, the issue that they have... I've never is, seen Hugh read before. I'm just... Okay, uh, I'm, go ahead. I, I, I prefer it. Okay. The issue that it or they have whenever they, they try to deal with the pandemic is that they think that their last solution, whatever it is, whether it's two weeks to stop the spread or... Uh, mask mandates or lockdowns or now vaccinations or whatever it is. They think that whatever the next policy phase is, is going to be the final nail of the coffin, and then we can all return to normal. Whether or not the policymakers are actually convinced of this, I'm not sure, but that certainly at least is the media narrative throughout all of this, is, is we just have to do this one last thing, and then you can have all of your civil liberties back. And, and so, if only you were patriots and wore masks, and if only you were patriots and went and got a vaccination, right. if only you would do what we told you to do yesterday, everything would be fine and you won't and it's your fault and so you know because of this failure to see this as an iterated crisis one that has multiple stages you know sequentially and facets that that then we we deal with sort of one chunk we don't make any plans for tomorrow and then nothing happens and we're blindsided so as you say this is the biggest failure of the administration to date because they haven't actually thought what is the next stage of this problem that we've been dealing with for two years this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone anymore it shouldn't be any more than the fact that we're changing again we went from a two-shot vaccine to a third possible booster to now a fourth possible booster i've added that to my now two-page list of everything that Fauci and the CDC has been right about for at least 30 days, but not more. I just, so, I just think it's so incredible. The, the, I have now handwritten two pages of important stats that have never held for more than a month. Correct. And so randomness happens. And the problem for these folks is that what do I mean by randomness happens? Uh, you can roll a die once and a six comes up. So you're certain that sixes are going to come up all the time for them whatever immediate trend they think they see, they're not willing to analyze in any depth the likelihood of that or rationalize or reason through what the likely solutions are and the course of actions are. They take whatever seems to be running on social media, Twitter, and their corporate media sponsors, keep pushing, and then they go after that one thing like a dog on a bone. That's the gravest challenge because most of us out here are rational people. We gather information. We try to make decisions. A good number of people have been beat about the head and shoulders for not getting vaccinated because they are not yet certain that it has been proved up. Well, we now have approvals from the FDA uh, on one and the next is going to be likely pretty quickly. Does that mean it's perfect? No. I'm not here to tell anybody to get vaccinated. I'm here to tell people here's what we know about the data that getting vaccinated so far has some bad consequences. We don't know how bad because the federal government has failed to collect data in a rational, reasonable way. And Lewis has talked about that. Why don't you give an example? This goes back to the uh, adverse outcomes reporting system that the U.S. government uses to track all of the... the um V-A-E-R-S to those who are... Right. All, any any complications or adverse outcomes from game. vaccines. Yeah. The big problem is that all of that information is collected voluntarily. So you, if you have a problem, you have to go to that website and fill out the, the, the form. Or, or Nobody knows to do that. Right. And so, you know, a, a Harvard Business Review study uh, about four months ago estimated that we were only collecting about one out of every hundred bad outcomes from the vaccine. Now, this obviously is not... Universal. So, for instance, we're probably catching most of the deaths that result from the vaccine, but a lot of the more mild causes and a lot of the more uh, uh, even still severe uh, uh, complications, we're just not 
getting. So the point being is we're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to try to give you information. So what is currently going on in Arizona, at least, with Mm -hmm. respect to the Delta variant and coronavirus? It is still the same virus. It has mutated slightly like the flu virus mutates every single year. It should not have been a surprise. Uh, We talked about this truly almost 18 months ago that this was a coronavirus, a COV. Uh, this one, a SARS-CoV-2 is what it got numbered. And COVID-19, meaning the coronavirus disease from 2019. That's what we're still dealing with. Well, uh, it looks like the cases in Arizona are trending down. The height of the case reporting came in on August 16th with 4,007 cases. Uh, now running this week, it's been trending down uh, for since that date. Uh, so that's almost three weeks, uh, and it continues to trend down. It's about 2,000 cases a day. That means hospitalizations are falling. So the headline is that COVID cases have fallen by half in the state of Arizona. Yes, <laughs> Not exactly. that it would ever be reported that no, way. we won't see that headline. Exactly. Um, uh, although we did see when it popped up by uh, uh, 10%, which was a few hundred cases, that that was the headline in the Arizona Republic. But there you well, go. Well, that's right. I mean, the, the natural... Oh, we're not going to politicize. We're right. not politicizing this. We're not coming yet. to that later. Not yet. I'm about to. Yeah, okay. Well, not go here. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Maybe. And yet, if you ask the average one newspaper a day reader or 10-minute news watcher on Camelback or anywhere in in America, what the state of COVID is, they would be told, well, I, uh, you would be told something along the lines of, I hear there's a spike and it's really affecting kids in a way it never has before. And it's really bad. Right. And so the the general population... Funny how we finally got interested in kids somehow. So let me, let me give you this example. Yeah. Uh, the worst we had it uh, during the pandemic, our ICUs, we had 60% COVID cases, or 60, 66, uh, 66% of the beds had COVID cases in it, 26 non-COVID, and 8% were empty. That was on January 11th, 2021. The height of this pandemic spike was on January 11th, right. 2021. Right. Not the original spike when we shut down the entire economy, right. but only after we started regaining our minds. This spike, which many people have been led to believe is as bad as the worst case, the spike of the uh, COVID cases right now was at its worst uh, uh, about 34%, uh, 36% of ICU beds. We're now down to 32% of ICU beds. Can, can I try to rephrase that? Can I ask quickly? you both to hold that thought That's until absolutely. the other side of this break? Do this we are two, right now getting into the meat of it, and I want it to have you its want the full... Meat. Yeah, I want, I want the meat, and I want its... It's full serving. I'm Seth Liebson. They're the Hallmans. We're at 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh and Lewis Hallman are our guests, as they are every Tuesday, third hour. We do a little COVID. We do a little politics. We do a little epistemology. Mike and Scottsdale, please hold. I see your question. We all want to talk about it. So timely. But bear with just a moment. Hugh, you needed to wrap up. We're just going to wrap up the data quickly so that folks have a context. Uh, So at the worst of the pandemic... Uh, in our inpatient beds, we had 59% of the beds filled, which was 5,082 patients. Uh, uh, in the current spike, we have 24% of the beds with COVID, 2,083 patients. 
the ICU is similar. You have 32% of the beds with COVID patients now, 559 people. In the worst of it, it was 66% of the beds. So Lewis will give you sort of the context for that, keeping in mind that we also have similar results on death. This, the actual uh, kind of executive summary of this is, is really this. It's that if you look at the, the spike that we just had and you compare it to January, we had only about 40% as many cases and hospitalizations now as we did in January. However, we only had 10% as many deaths. So this disease is not only getting is, – is spreading less, affecting fewer people, but it's also creating significantly fewer casualties. So this is improving, although you would not hear that if you were just reading the headlines. The reason for this, of course, is because if it leads, it bleeds. No, if it bleeds, it leads. But Excuse me. Yeah, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. Yes, that. Uh, cor- the corporate press and legacy media is only incentivized to report a story if it involves – negativity and human suffering. Otherwise, readers will not read it. And instead of providing context in which they're reporting this information, instead they continue to mislead, which brings us to another thing we'll get to after we take Mike's call, and that is we want to talk about the left uh, gnashing of teeth, wringing of hands, rending of garments over the fact that jobless benefits just ran out, uh, and not permanently. That is to say the in heightened uh, level, the enhanced benefits have finally been stopped. And we want to talk about that at length. But we've got Mike who's got the question that is the right question. Yeah, Mike in Scottsdale, thanks for calling in. How are you, sir? Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, I I just wanted to uh, have you guys uh, talk about, uh, I I, I talked to to a friend of mine at church. She's a retired nurse, just retired nurse. And she said, if everybody would get the, vaccine, we could wipe COVID. And I'm, I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> she said, just like we did with polio. So, and so that got me thinking and I started looking it up and stuff. And I, I'm not sure if I really figured it out or not, but it seems like polio shot and the flu shot, which this is basically, uh, is are two different kinds of, of immunization or vaccines or whatever you call them uh, that, that do different things. And, and I, I thought maybe the polio sure. shot was something that actually got rid of polio. The COVID shot is something that we get every year to keep it from coming back. Am I, am okay, I right Okay, let, let me give you my uneducated answer, and then I will turn it over to the educated here. Uh, first of all, there must be some progressive or liberal or Democratic Party talking point going out, because I never heard that we needed 100 percent vaccination until the last two weeks, and I've now heard it from about five or six people. A. B, no one ever talked about 100% vaccination in this country until maybe the last two weeks. If you go back and read everything Anthony Fauci said about immunity and vaccination, it got up to a 90% chance where he said something like other vaccines. Very few vaccines do 100%. Uh, respond, do 100 percent uh, vaccinated. But there's a real problem here, which makes it simply unattainable. A, it's too late. B, adult and children vaccines are different and the children have never been vaccinated. I just don't think it's an attainable so, thing physically or theoretically. We got two answers for you, Mike, and that is going to be Lewis gets to start first. I may be wrong about everything. I just you are said. wrong about everything. Huh? So am, uh, I, am I wrong about everything not, I just not. said? With polio, polio spreads differently, first of all. So it's not a respiratory disease. Uh, so it's actually significantly mutate, easier though. to to 
eliminate if you can stop the extant cases and actually get a reasonable herd immunity up there. It doesn't mutate to the same degree. But so with with COVID and can we stop it? So the answer is kind of complicated. It's sort of a yes and no type of thing. If everyone in the United States were vaccinated at a 100 percent rate, that would obviously not stop COVID because it is endemic to many other countries all around the world. Right. So you can't think of this as a just a U.S. local problem. And so if your if your nurse friend Didn't come here as a U.S. local problem, th- that is the case, yeah. then she is severely misinformed. Right. Now, if we want to think about vaccinating the entire globe, all seven plus billion of us, that theoretically could eliminate covid if all of us were able to get the vaccine, if it took for all of us. And if if there were no holes in coverage and it all happened within nine months before we started to get any breakthrough cases and that there were no breakthrough cases. Well, but, that's a good point. I didn't make so the point that theoretically, that these are not if you 100% could solve effective. that right. logistical right. hurdle and vaccinate everyone on Earth and you had no more zoonosis, no, no more no more mutation between animals and humans. There are some strains that are were transmissible by rodents. So I am actually, if those exist right. still, South, South, there's a South African, African strain. So you may not be able to ever do it Correct. with that. Right. right. It's so, now endemic right. to rats. Any, any disease that also lives in an animal, you can't vaccinate to 100%. Right. right. So so generally, in light of all those logistical problems, Mike, the, the real answer is effectively no. There's not really a way to permanently purge COVID-19 from our from the but world. But it does assume something I didn't mention, which is vaccine effectiveness being 100 percent yes. as well as vaccine yes, taking absolutely. being 100 percent. You'd have to take out that there could be extant uh, virus that is first eliminated from the human population and then doesn't exist elsewhere. We know it does exist elsewhere. Uh, even taking the fact that it may have been mutated by human beings in a lab we now have evidence that it has been transmitted to rats in the South African variant, and there may be others, so that human uh, that humans would continue to be exposed by animals. But unlike polio, as Lewis explained, polio is transmitted very differently and very slowly, relatively speaking. In the same way smallpox, we've been able to eradicate it. It now only is in the lab. There are some things we've been able to succeed in doing that, but it took decades to do. Like the flu, this coronavirus, the COV, is much closer to a flu-like transmission problem than it is a polio problem. So to think that, in my view, is foolish. We started this pandemic control operation with two different views of the world. You had the folks who understood that the goal was to control it, slow it, so that we would not overwhelm our hospital systems. And then there were some people saying, oh, we can eradicate it. My view was those people are foolish, and they generally didn't get listened to very much, but you heard them. You're hearing them again. It tends to come from the left, and it's used as the uh, bat to beat down people who are refusing to get vaccinated, refusing to wear masks, and the other things they think you should do. It's not possible, in my view. Uh, it, It is not like those things we have eradicated, it will now be with us forever, and we need to start losing our minds and start behaving in a way that we understand what its risks are, moderate the risks, and otherwise society has to continue. We need to reclaim our humanity and move forward here. Hold that thought real quick as we hit the break. Joe Biden's going to give a speech on Thursday proposing six new things. We don't know what they are, um, but I would like to guess that at least one of them he will tell us 
is the patriotic duty and not something that should be politicized. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about this whole notion of things not being politicized. Can we do that? We look forward to it. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh and Lewis Hallman are my guests, and I wanted to shift to two areas. One, this uh, ending of benefits issue, and two, uh, the philosophical issue of when everything is political or shouldn't be and who gets to say it first and what that preempts and what that excludes. Talk to me about unemployment. So I'll quickly set the table. Uh, unemployment benefits, uh, the enhanced numbers uh, got uh, dropped uh, finally at the federal level. And uh, there was lots of rending of garments and gnashing of teeth by the left that this was a terrible thing. Uh, reporting over the weekend through Monday, uh, because that was the actual date on which there were no uh, enhanced benefits any longer, was that it was terribly cruel. All the people who are unemployed can't get jobs. It's not their fault. And they're now going to be damaged severely because their unemployment benefits were cut. There were, as the New York Times would report, 26 states quote, all but one with Republican governors, unquote, uh, terrible, uh, evil Republican governors who cut unemployment benefits early under a whole host of reasons. And I think Lewis is best uh, positioned to not only articulate those reasons, but provide the insight to what the left doesn't want you to know. So the, the big issue about cutting unemployment benefits early is about the incentive to work and the creation of, of perverse incentives that would then cause people who are getting paid more than they would otherwise earn uh, from working to sit on the couch to then just continue sitting on the couch. Or even, even uh, those who would earn slightly more. Because the cost of having to go to work. The marginal difference. Exactly right. If, yes. if you're going right. to make an extra $3 <laughs> right. an hour and you might make an extra $100 a week, you decide it's a lot nicer to yeah. sit on your couch. Yeah. Especially if gas is 80 bucks a week and then you've also got to pay for you know other costs. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So that's the issue that the Republican governors were focused on, the perverse incentives not to go back to work with their employment base saying that they could not find employees. And even in this state of Arizona... Uh, the hospitality industry, lots of industries are struggling trying to get people to take jobs that are otherwise available. So here's what Lewis found in responding to the New York Times that I think is the home run number. So uh, I, I was doing some uh, digging, and one of the issues when we started having this conversation, Dad, was that, that the story that we found originally came from NPR, where they just gave quiet anecdotes about people being scared and didn't provide over the five or six minute segment a single number or statistic at all quantifying or describing the problem. They just said that the unemployment rates in the states where benefits were cut early were slightly lower than those in other states. But uh, CNBC mercifully reported the actual rate and they showed that there was a 4.4 percentage point difference between states that cut benefit early and those that didn't. Now, if the unemployment rate on aggregate in the country is 5%, then that means that in those states that cut unemployment benefits early, our unemployment rate is roughly 3.6%, lower than the frictional rate of unemployment. Well, for every other state, it is above 8%. That's right. So the unemployment rate is half 
of what it is in those states that then kept running all of these elevated programs. And, so and that is a, that's a minor difference that doesn't make any – no one should care about that according to NPR. It's only 4% of the workforce. 4% of what, 180 million people is uh, only 6 million jobs. No one should care about that. That's, that's, that's just you know rounding errors to NPR. And, and so that's the kind of reporting you're hearing. It, it ran all weekend. It continued today. And we just want your listeners to know that it's nonsense. Good. Thank you for that. Let me shift to something I've been – it's been just on my mind terribly uh, ter- ter- for a terribly long time. But Joe Biden really brought it to the fore because I think he's the one who has revived this concept more than anyone, at least recently, which is the instruction to say something. The instruction to the American people when he talks to say something is not political. Just do it. Just accept we're not – Making a political point, we're simply following the science. Or it's not politics, it's patriotism or it's patriotic. The notion that you can pronounce on a policy and deny its political nature. Where did this come from? I know one of the early answers will be from the notion that the personal has become political. And that takes us to, I think, the 60s and the feminist movement. But let's talk more about that on the other side of this break because I happen to think it's actually a Marxist notion as well. Can we talk about that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it when we come back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh and Lewis Hallman are our guests, and I wanted to talk about this notion of the personalist political, which I think is the wholesale problem that we know as retail. This isn't political. This isn't about politics, which it seems to me – the statement that's made by the first person who can grab it to exclude peremptorily a discussion about that which they are forcing down our throats. Lewis, you can do this a little more sophisticatedly than I. All right. So the personal is the political uh, is a phrase that was coined originally by Carol Hanisch in the late 1960s. Uh, talking about the women's liberation movement. So at this point, the idea was that uh, women's having to do extra work in the home, having to deal with their Being prisoners of their marriage. As like, exactly. All, all of these it's things. A political issue, not all, just one for the right, living. That all of these things were not individual struggles and individual women's personal in lives. Society. They were they were societal problems requiring collective action. Right. So that's where we got that from. Recently, the phrase has morphed into everything is political, mm-hmm. uh, increasingly uh, just completely batty, right. uh, uh, so that there's no separation between the personal and the private. Right. But this this stems back uh, back a ways in history to a couple of fairly eerie sources. Now, intellectually, this is a separate concept, but the everything is political uh, harkens eerily, to me at least, to Benito Mussolini's The Doctrine of Fascism, everything within the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state, in that the, the, the state has license to organize all that goes on in our affairs and there is no area of culture or or human life that should be outside of that. More directly, though, the actual intellectual roots of the phrase go back to Marx in his uh, 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 wonderful little book uh, on the Jewish question. Um, now, in this, Marx is really laying out, in addition to a paranoid, uh, unhinged rant about the Jewry. It's the least is, interesting part of the It really is the least interesting right, part right, of the book. Right, uh, right. But the he actually goes into his 
his problems with liberal bourgeois morality. And his big conception of the problem with rights, as liberals characterize them, is that they are rights that allow you to exist separately from society, but they don't address what he describes as uh, uh, the right to be together, right? So all, all liberalism does in Marx's eyes is he they enshrines the right to be apart, to exist as a monad unattached to society. And so what Marx is trying to articulate in On the Jewish Question is, is that uh, there needs to be a morality in which uh, uh, we are not then separate from the state. So that My the memory is he wants to erode or, or, or eradicate the distinction between the personal and the And the public. political. Yes, or indeed. Public. That's yeah. exactly how, how, how he would do this in, in order to make us a, a collective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And, and so he does this in order to enshrine this collective morality wherein the interests of society can because – can, can then be elevated above those of the individual in order to get policy done and to correct injustices and, and all of the usual unfairness that Marxists like to point out. The current m- method and model of that is in China. You've now got the social credit system being used to monitor behavior because the collective interest in everyone's activities uh, exceeds anyone's interest in privacy. Actually, more directly, uh, you have the Chinese now beginning a new cultural revolution where they are now uh, uh, disappearing actors from the internet and, and uh, overhauling their cultural landscape uh, to get back to the roots of socialism. And they're actually talking about this explicitly to get rid of the individual, uh, uh, the individualism that is um, elevated and and uh, prescribed yeah, by celebrity culture. above the public Well, or in this particular, they're going first after actors and performers who have cults of personality, people following them because they're... They're a danger to the real cult. That's correct. And so the Chinese are are starting this new cultural revolution that is not even picked up in our press uh, at all uh, while we continue to lionize the fact that how well they've controlled coronavirus, among so many other things. I would also like to make the point, though, as long as as we're here, though, that... uh in talking about Benito Mussolini's doctrine of fascism, along this notion of everything being political, you know, we, we have a, an emergence of, of trends in, in the wake of the coronavirus that is really disturbing to me and very, very reminiscent of proto-fascistic behavior where we have the government effectively colluding with pharmaceutical firms in order to mandate products that we must then consume. It is the ultimate collusion between corporate power and and the federal government. There is no more textbook definition of fascism than this. And here we have, uh, talking about just earlier, the unemployment benefits issue, that we want to keep more people on the government dole and uh, subject to the controls that are then offered. One of the biggest arguments for why uh, these benefits are essential is because then it generates more revenue into the economy for expenditure for expenditure on on, uh, things like, uh, I don't know, Amazon. Uh, Why does that matter? Because if you look at mom-and-pop retailers relative to Amazon, they have shrunk considerably. And the behemoth that got massive subsidies through the $6 trillion in uh, slosh funds that have come out of our federal government are some of the biggest beneficiaries. Uh, all of this starts playing into this model, and not to be too paranoid It was here, not but, only subsidized, but its competition was then axed. So it's actually being subsidized in multiple ways here as a result of this. 
And so we don't want to sound too paranoid, but the reality is what the federal government has done is continue to grow itself, and the corporate media folks who want to play this game with them uh, continue to beat the drum that more and more money needs to continue to be spent. We cannot rely on the individual to take care of themselves, him or herself, itself, if you prefer, uh, these pronouns being important. And uh, all of that comes back to your point, that we don't want to politicize unemployment benefits because, after all, it's all about the children. Right, right, right. It's, it's, it's the argument taken and used by the first person who can grab it to eliminate dissent, to peremptorily cut off debate. And, I, I, yeah, I think it does have roots in Marx. I think it has roots in Engels, and I think it has roots in Antonio Gramsci. I, I'm happy to conclude on that or let you guys when we come back on the other side of this break, and we will be right back. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. It means the world to us. Thank you, Hugh and Lewis Hallman, for doing it as well with us as we do every week with you guys. We uh, and the audience tremendously appreciate it. Do you want to make a last point, either of you, on uh, sure, the absolutely. erosion between the political and the rest of the world? Go ahead. Well, among the, the other pieces of this is that uh, while we don't live in a vacuum, there are other countries responding to this emergency alongside us. And so one of the interesting consequences of this is that when we see countries like China create quarantine camps that are little more than horse stalls with barbed wire fences around them to shunt their own citizens in. Weld it, their it, doors shut. Exactly. Of the it, it makes all of the tyrannical overreaches by our own federal government seem downright reasonable by comparison. We're not putting kids in camps because of their religion. Right. right. Nobody has to have a tattoo put on them. Right. But this, and so, you know, this, this gives us an impulse where we look at this and we say, well, at least it's not so bad over here. Thank God. You know, and, and, and thank God it isn't that bad over here. But it also creates an anchoring bias where we excuse our own overreach just because it's not as bad as right. everything that's going on over there. And, and so one of the things that, that I think that we need to get better about is comparing America to America, not, com not comparing us with the rest of the world in the year 2021, but compare where we are now to where we were two years ago mm -hmm. before this started. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, look, I think I, th I think you're right. Absolutely. I love the notion of comparing America to America. But I want to put in a good word for those that do warn. I think you agree with me that do warn about the encroachments, because when we say, well, at least we're not China, some of us who warn about the predations and depredations of communism and tyranny, the three of us and a lot of this audience, if not most or all of it, when we warn about that, we are scolded. We should not be scolded for it. We should be seen as prophetic because almost every warning we have made about communism coming here or fascism encroaching here, slowly we wake up and find this is a country we can't compare to America anymore because too many people don't recognize it until it's too late. So a word for those just because you warn about other systems doesn't mean you're paranoid. It means you're responsible and you love this country. I'm Seth Liebson. God bless you all until tomorrow. Thank you, Holmans. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Anthony. Class dismissed. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.